1: smallest amount of light, guys, still penetrates that darkness. That's why you and I need to continue to be a light in this world, a reflection of Jesus Christ to a dark and dying world, a world that's getting darker and darker, I believe, in these last days. God Almighty, he's not a divided force. He's not some sort of force that carries both light and darkness. And John wanted to let the church know that God is not only the source of light, He Himself is light, and in His presence, there is absolutely no darkness at all.
0: There is much darkness in our world. This is nothing new. Evil has existed since time began in the garden. Darkness exists when there is no light. And today, Pastor David reminds you how light drives away darkness. In fact, there is no darkness so great that even the smallest light cannot dispel it. John wrote to the believers that God is light. In Him, there is no darkness. He is holy and evil cannot remain near him. So because of this fact, Pastor David issues a challenge to you as a child of God. You can't walk in darkness either. Now here's Pastor David in the book of 1 John chapter 1 as he begins his message, True Fellowship.
1: are in the epistle, the letter of John to the churches, 1 John. It's in the back of your Bible just before Revelation, Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John. We spent some time in the introduction to John. We found out that one of the reasons that John wrote 1 John to the church was that our joy might be full. And again, Jesus said that I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundant. Not just that you're busier because the church has so many meetings you have to go to, but that, that the very core of our being would be full of life, full of the life of Christ, full of the spirit of Christ, working and moving, that, again, there's more to life than just existing, you know, the daily grind, getting up, going to work, coming back home, taking care of kids, family, whatever it might be, whatever stage of life you might be in. There's much more to life. And the reason that God has created us is for more than that. He's created us to be an active part of his kingdom, for his kingdom's purposes, and we as believers need to continually realize that. Whatever stage we are in life, God has called us to be an active part of his kingdom for his kingdom's purposes. When John says that your joy might be full, we understand when he's speaking of joy, he's not talking about some surface-related happiness kind of a thing, but really that deep reality of joy that the Lord Jesus desires that we experience in our relationship with Him. But as we go on into this study, we're also going to find out that our relationship with each other, with each other is also of utmost importance to the Lord. As Christians, you and I as believers, you and I as particular parts of a portion of the body of Christ, a local fellowship of believers together, that again, according to God's word, according to the purposes and the plans of the Lord, our relationship together is very important because, again, when the world looks at us, Jesus said what? They'll know you're my disciples because you go to church a lot. That's not what it says, is it? They'll know that you're my disciples because you can speak Christianese really smoothly. No, they'll know you're my disciples by your love one to another. That's that horizontal relationship that God calls for us to have, that Jesus pressed that into the life of the disciples. The most important lesson that Jesus gave that night that he was betrayed, one of his last lessons was you need to love each other, you need to serve each other, again, because I believe the importance of that for all of eternity, how we live among each other, how we relate to each other, how we treat each other in order that the world might see what true love really is. So, as we get into that, John here, he's going to be writing a whole lot about that fellowship that we have together and about that love that we have as brethren. But before we get too far, I want to kind of back up again, get a running start. We didn't get very far, so we're only backing up four verses, and then we're going to get a running start to where we're at uh, tonight. Uh, So go ahead. If you have your Bibles, let's look at chapter 1. Let's begin at verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and we bear witness, we declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship and that's that horizontal relationship, that you might have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship, now he speaks of the vertical relationship, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He says, and these things we write to you that your joy may be full. And I want to reemphasize the reality that what he's speaking about is when our vertical relationship is right, when our horizontal relationships are right, that's really and truly when our joy is made complete. That's when it's made full. And again, we see that John is speaking here. He's speaking of an experiential relationship. Uh, he's experienced it himself during those three and a half years of walking with Christ. That which we have seen, that that we've heard, that's what we declare to you. Now we're going to move on into verse five through seven. From all sin. These are the things that John had heard personally from the Lord Jesus. He says, This is what we've heard from him. What he's about to tell us, again, it's not an exact quote of anything that we can go back to the Gospels and say, oh, that was in Matthew's Gospel or John's Gospel where Jesus spoke these things. We need to remember that it was John himself that told us at the very end of his Gospel record that there was a whole lot more to Jesus' ministry than what they were able to write down. He tells us in John 21, there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. A lot of things. But these things, John says, John says, I've heard from the Lord himself, and this is what I declare to you. And one of the first things that he shares with us is that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now, you'd think that'd be a no-brainer, that there'd be no darkness in God himself. But some have totally missed that point. Some in the past and some even currently today, they believe, they teach that God is the creator of both good and evil, that he is the one within himself has both light and darkness. Even this whole idea, and you've seen the little Chinese symbol of the yin yang coming together, opposing and yet complementary Forces of both of good and evil. It's the Star Wars concept. You know, the force. It's the good force, the bad force, let the force be with you. Uh, and, and again, that's a Chinese mindset. That's not the reality of what we know of who God is. Light and darkness, this whole yin-yang thing cupped inside of each other, each one of them having equal strength. Even in Chinese Taoism, the distinctions actually between good and bad. They say, that's only a perception. It's not really real. So this perceived duality of yin-yang, good and evil, light and darkness, they're actually, according to Taoism, they're an indivisible whole, each one requiring the other one to exist. You have to have evil in order for good to exist. And yet, that's not what the Word of God shows us. The word of God shows us that in reality, the God of the Bible, again, Jehovah, God Almighty, the great I am, he existed before all things and he created all things. You say, well, pastor, did he create evil? No, we find that evil and darkness exist only where and when there is a void in the active presence of God Almighty much in the same way that that darkness only exists when there's no light. You can go into the pitch black of night. You can go into a room with absolutely no openings at all and have the smallest little pin light, and all of a sudden, boom, it, it brightens things up. Why? Because light drives away darkness. Darkness does not drive away light. You understand that? It's when the sun rises in the morning that, again, darkness flees. That's just the way that God has designed it. We need to see and understand, as believers, that there is absolutely no darkness so great, but that the smallest of sources of light cannot prevail against that. And I believe that we need to understand that in our culture because our culture is so quickly changing. New York has voted that final term, almost to absolute birth, abortions are absolutely fine. A fully viable baby in the womb just before birth. There, it's okay in New York to murder that one that could completely survive outside the womb. Is our area getting darker? Absolutely. But the smallest amount of light, guys, still penetrates that darkness. That's why you and I need to continue to be a light in this world, a reflection of Jesus Christ to a dark and dying world, a world that's getting darker and darker, I believe, in these last days. God Almighty. He's not a divided force. He's not some sort of force that carries both light and darkness. And John wanted to let the church know that God is not only the source of light. He himself is light. And in his presence, there's absolutely no darkness at all. No darkness at all. So when God is fully present, there is no darkness at all. And the understanding of that drives into what he is going to be sharing with us here. He is holy, and in his presence, evil cannot remain. And we have to get that into our head, our understanding. Because of that very truth, John goes on to warn us that if we say, if, if you and I, as, as, as believers if we say that, oh yes, I have fellowship with God, I'm, I'm walking with the Lord, and yet we're walking in darkness, what does John tell us here? He says, you're liars. Okay, let me back that up. No, he says, we are liars. If if again, I say that I'm walking in the Lord, and yet in reality, I'm walking in darkness. He says, we lie and we're not practicing the truth. If we say that we have fellowship with the Lord, that we're walking in his presence, and yet our lives are filled with darkness. Let's just call it what it is. If our lives are filled with sin, John will bring that out a little bit later, this whole issue of sin in the life of the believers. John says that if that's the case in our lives, we're walking in a lie, and we're definitely not living in the truth. We'll get into that deeper end of chapter one, and we get into the beginning of chapter two, the case of, as a believer, how do we deal with sin, and can I, as a believer, sin? And I'm going to tell you right now, I'll give you kind of a prelude to, yes, you can. He has a cure for our sin. The fact is, is every time, every time you and I walk in sin, choosing the flesh over the spirit, we are effectively shutting off the light switch of his presence. Does that mean God leaves us? No, but the light of his glory, the fellowship of his presence isn't gonna be present. When I'm walking in sin, when you and I choose the flesh, we're not walking in the spirit. You cannot have both. That's why the apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter eight, for those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit for to be carnally minded is death. You say, pastor, does that mean that I lose my salvation? No, but what it does mean that we are walking as dead men. There's no life flowing from us because the spirit is not flowing from us. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is at enmity against God is what Paul says, for it is not subject to, to the law of God, nor indeed can be. When I'm in the flesh, and okay, it happens every once in a while. I'm not going to tell you how often or when, but it happens. Every, I know I'm not doing the will of God, so I have to repent. I have to come back. I have to recognize, man, what I'm doing is I, I'm walking in the flesh here. I'm not, I'm not walking in the power of the Spirit. I'm walking in the, either the logic of, and it doesn't have to be some crude, gross sin, it could just be the fact that, man, I'm going my own way, my own logic. I'm going in it by the power of the flesh rather than the power of the Spirit. And so I don't hear what the Spirit says. I don't understand what the Spirit's direction is because I'm in the flesh. Paul goes on, then we'll move from there. So then those who are in the flesh, they cannot please God. Now, to help you to understand all this, I probably should have read this before I started talking a lot. To help you understand it, bear with me a little bit. I'm going to read from you from Pastor David's new modern transliteration, okay? Some of you may not have a copy of that. Uh, This is my transliteration of what Romans 8 is. As believers, for those who live according to the flesh, they have shut off the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, that wooing, that directing. And I believe sometimes even that covering and that protection. But those who live according to the Spirit, they continue to let the light and the power of the Holy Spirit prevail in their lives. We're walking in the Spirit, then the Spirit is gonna direct us. If the Lord is whispering, this is the way, walk you in If I'm walking in the Spirit, I hear that loud and clear But if I'm walking in the flesh, no, the noise of the world, the noise of my flesh, far outweighs or outvolumes the word of God, that that soft, that gentle wooing of the spirit. If the Lord can direct me with his eyes, as the scripture says, and I don't have my eyes looking to the Lord, but I'm on everything else, then how do I get direction out of my own logic, out of my own understanding? And I guarantee you, we'll stumble every time. For to be carnally minded is to be walking in darkness, and that walk leads to death. But to be spiritually minded is walking in the light, and that walk will bring you life and peace. Because the darkness is an enemy that's set against God because it resists the very light of God. So then, when we walk in darkness, we cannot Please, God. Now, don't hang me as a heretic for misquoting the Bible. Simply understand what I'm trying to say. That the concept of what John is writing here in First John goes right in line with what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8. On a more positive note, back in First John, John goes on to say in verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Oh, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, if that was the only verse that we had in reference to the cleansing of our sin, it would seem as though John is saying, it's only when we are walking in obedience that we are cleansed from our sin. But beloved, you have to take it in the context of all of the word to understand the impact and the effect of that cleansing power of Christ in our lives is what I believe that he is speaking, that effect that allows us to be open, allows us to be able to clearly hear and to understand that it's not having to go through the filth and the garbage of our lives or the world when I'm walking in the light. Not only do I have fellowship one with another here, but also we have fellowship with the Lord. And again, to walk in that light, it means that we are walking in obedience to the move and to the work of the Holy Spirit and to the plan and the precepts of God in his word. To walk in the light means that we are walking in obedience. Is that clear enough for you? When we walk in obedience that's when we walk in light. When we walk in disobedience or we follow the flesh, that's when we're walking in darkness. When this happens, when we're walking in obedience, when we're walking in the light, you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, we can then have fellowship, that koinonia, with one another. Not only with one another, but also with Christ Christ when we're walking that way. John uses that word fellowship or the Greek word koinonia, but John uses that word fellowship or koinonia four different times in just these opening verses. In verse three, he actually uses it twice. That which we've seen and we heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. Fellowship with us, koinonia, with us. And our, truly, our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That horizontal, that vertical relationship. Down in verse six, if we say that we have fellowship with him, that vertical relationship, and yet we're walking in darkness, we don't practice the truth. And then in verse seven, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship on the horizontal and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That deals with the vertical relationship. We looked at the meaning of that word fellowship. We looked at koinonia. It's much more than just the Wednesday night sharing a meal together. It's just much more than just going down to the kernel and getting a bucket of chicken and sitting out and having a picnic together. It's much, much more than that. It truly is the idea of living life together, getting involved in our lives together so that we know each other's hurts we know each other's victories we can stand with each other we can encourage each other we can cry with each other we can laugh with each other why because we have that kind of a relationship Cornania carries with it that understanding of community Community was important to both the Greek and the Jew. Koinonia was the idea of sharing in or participation with. For the Greeks, koinonia was that supreme expression of friendship. Man, it's not just my friend, not just my buddy. No, we we have koinonia together. We're just joined together, a great relationship. And again, that whole idea that that common union of life we call communion when we come to this table of the lord that's koinonia it's the same word and i've spoken often about when we come to that communion time we are in common union with believers not only here as we said but with believers all around the world but not only koinonia john places a very huge emphasis on brotherly love and as we go through this book, we're gonna see this emphasis stated over and over and over again. Open our Change us from within by the open
0: We are so glad we could be with you today as we opened God's word and dove deeply into its goodness and truth. If you missed any part of today's message in John's epistles, we encourage you to catch up on our website, theopenword.com. There you'll be able to browse our library of audio as well as learn more about the ministry of The Open Word. We'd love to hear from you too and find out how God's working in your life. Please give us a call at 520-836-9676. When you call, be sure to let us know how we can be praying for you. That number again is 520-836-9676. Is social media part of your routine? Come like our Facebook page and keep up to date with all that's happening at The Open Word and Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. You'll find a link at our website, theopenword.com. As our time comes to a close today, Pastor David has a quick word
1: of encouragement to share with you. Oh yeah, thanks Chris. Any time you spend in God's Word is valuable, and I'd like to encourage you to do it as often as possible. By diving deeper into Scripture and letting it saturate your heart and mind, You'll be ready to take on your day, as well as be prepared when the enemy attacks. If you're not sure where to start, you can begin by reading today's passage again. Or simply begin with the Gospel of Mark, a short and simple reading. If your heart is open to the Holy Spirit's direction, you can't go wrong. Hey, thanks for tuning in today, and I hope you'll join me again next time on The Open Word.